Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks, I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today we are in Youthlink Scotland with the amazing Oriel who's going to tell us all about No Life's Better Lives. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and without further ado, here is our conversation with Oriel. Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks, I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today I'm with Oriel from No Life's Better Lives. So Oriel, if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD. Um, so, my name's Oriel, I work with uh, No Nights Better Lives, which is a project in YouthLink Scotland. Um, I've worked here for, uh, I don't know, about 10 years, I think. I've been off a couple of times uh, on maternity leave. Um, I have a, my background's actually community safety, so I did government policy and management in university, and that led me into some placements within community safety. And then I've worked in Edinburgh Local Authority and Midlothian Local Authority and then Scottish Government all within community safety. So my background actually came through a bit more of a policy direction in community safety, which led me to No Nice Better Lives. Um, so it wasn't really a CLD background, um, but obviously this role has made me more of a CLD associate. So I, I'd say I'm in the CLD family now, but it was actually through community safety that I've ended up in this role. So what did that involve in community safety? So it was different roles. Um, I was working in Edinburgh Council. It was around, um, it was in social work in young uh, families department. Um, And it was like young children with intensive support and monitoring. And I was um, helping in that team. And then in Midlothian Council, it was a community safety officer. So that's working with the anti-social behaviour team. It's working with community safety in the area working with local partners, community partners, and just looking at um, how we can implement all services and um, policy around community safety within that local authority. And then in the government, it was, um, again, within the community safety team. So it was looking at um, working with the community safety network there. Um, and so it's kind of through that route of how do we make Scotland safer that I've ended up in the role, which um, No Rise Better Lives is all about uh, reducing violence in Scotland. So it seems kind of a natural connection but it didn't come through CLD if that makes sense. Yeah totally. What was it that um, brought your attention to No Nice Better Lives into this post? Um, So I've always been really interested in youth work and kind of helping young people Um, and this seemed a kind of really, it seemed a really interesting post at the time. There was a lot of, it was all based around youth work and youth violence. it, it was actually recommended to be the post because I was covering a maternity leave and then it, it ended up moving into the role more full time. Um, so it, it was just seemed a really interesting opportunity and in an area I hadn't really worked before, kind of touched around it but not directly worked in that yeah. role before. So it was more just um, kind of interest. But a lot of the job roles I've done have all kind of contributed to um, reducing violence or reducing youth violence in some way. So I did have that youth work interest. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Um, so could you just give us a wee bit of history of No Nice Better Lives for yeah, so, MDs not heard about these? Yeah, so it is a Scottish Government um, programme that um, is delivered by YouthLink Scotland. They kind of do it in partnership. So it started back in 2009, I believe, and um, it was at a time when the um, violence particularly was... Um, the rates for violence were really, really high in Scotland, I think... Glasgow, I think, or, or maybe it was Inverclyde, had kind of murder capital of the, the Europe kind of um, numbers going on there for for um, violence, which 
was not great, obviously. So um, there was a lot of work being done by the Scottish Government and by a lot of other national partners. I know the Balance Reduction Unit had the SERV project going at the time and the government invested in this programme called No Nice Better Lives. They wanted it to have a different focus than, I guess, um, Violence Reduction Unit, which is kind of police. Um, and I think that's why they look to a youth work partner to look for delivery, which is where it came to YouthLink Scotland as the national youth agency for Scotland. So um, that's where it came. It's evolved massively over the years. So it kind of started mainly with probably marketing kind of campaign mm -hmm. where they were raising awareness and talking about it and getting that dialogue started and doing some project work but not a massive amount and that's really evolved over the last um, however many years uh, 10 12 years yeah. to be mainly project work now so we do a lot of work um, with young people directly we do a lot of work with um, capacity building of our local partners, making sure that they've got all the resources and skills and confidence they need to deliver this kind of work locally. So it is kind of, and we do an awful lot as well around trying to understand what causes the violence in Scotland and how we can help take action on that as well. So there's kind of like our capacity building of local partners, but also that kind of understanding and action and research kind of side of our work as well. So that's probably the evolution of it over the years. Yeah, and I, I think No Nice Better Life since I started was 2010, so it's always sort of been about and it's always been discussed. Yeah. Um, I think especially the project and pure education work I was involved with, just trying when I was a young person and a volunteer, yeah. which was it was really insightful. When there was um, a murder, it was Raymond Gormley, which yeah. was in our community as well, so it really, really brought um, a lot of attention to especially young people around the area. Um, and if the work that has been done there has done, it's amazing for... Um, how it's supporting young people and communities and especially capacity building as well. That, that's really great to hear. So when we started originally, we worked in five local authorities really intensively in South Lanarkshire, as, as you're saying, was one of them. And then I think we expanded to 12 local authority areas and then we just um, went to the whole of Scotland, which yeah. is obviously quite a big leap because we started to recognise that every local authority has different priorities and they have different ways of working and they have different connections with local partners and local groups so we had to look at how we could support everyone working locally and um, so that's kind of why we've evolved the way we have but um peer education is still a big part and that's one element that we do carry through every year because we do recognize the importance of that and it it's interesting that you're saying that because it, um, about your experience with it because what we found is that the biggest uh, kind of thing that drives us is that ripple effect in all the communities is you don't have to have high numbers you just need one instant and the ripple effect can be felt through the whole community and that's why what we're doing is so so important it's not about being reactive it's trying to be preventative for that one incident it doesn't need the high numbers to make it a priority for areas yeah and i think what you said there that's that's exactly that. it's about prevention mm -hmm. and i think that's what's so good about youth work and a lot of the work that we do is if we recognize prevention as an approach and if the more we can do that on not just knife crime and but other topics, then the better we can sort of support our young people. Um, so you mentioned just a few of the things, um, like capacity building and peer education. Um, what other sort of stuff does um, No Nice Better Lives do in a wider sort of scale? So we do quite a lot. So for, for this coming year, for example, I'll kind of cover what we do. Every year we do kind of change. We're responsive to what our local partners tell us. So if, uh, you know, we don't have the local, the established relationships with young people in each of these local authority areas but youth workers that are ha wor or anybody who's working with young people in those areas do whether it be a youth worker a youth justice worker a 
teacher, it could be a local police officer. If they have that established relationship, that's the connection we want to support and nourish because they're the ones that's going to have that good established relationship with that young person. Yeah. So it has changed every year. But if you if you know if, it, if we're hearing from partners that they're seeing a lot of um, youth violence happening under the influence of drugs and alcohol, then we've, we'll do a toolkit or a resource that's around that. But we also try and think of other creative ways that we can get the messaging across or engage with young people. So for the coming year, um, we have a couple of video games coming. So Probably. we have one that's uh, called Nay Danger, which is an interactive game, which can play up to young 50 young people at a time. And it's a kind of choose your own adventure interactive game where the young people play along it's really had a great response so far it was developed with um, an amazing group of young people from youth just us who are just as experienced and they helped us create the shape the the storyline of the game and then also recorded some of the voices which the game which was just oh, awesome um, we've also got a virtual reality game coming out um, obviously you can only use that in much smaller groups so we're thinking that's a much more intensive support resource um, so that'll probably be used in much smaller groups or mm. if youth groups have a headset they can use it and you know there's a support in workshops that goes with that and these are just to help get across key messages but also just open up that conversation for young people try and go to where young people might find it fun and engaging yeah. i.e. A, a game um, we've got peer education that's always evolving and something that we're trying to support and look at how we can support it in areas um, we have loads of training, all our workforce development training, so it's free to practitioners across the area. We have lots of different toolkits, um, but we could also tailor the support for an area. So if a, you know, a, a youth worker in any area in Scotland came up and said, oh, we'd like training, and we have like you know 10 of our other partners in the area that could do the training, we could do a bespoke training for them and help you know make sure it's yeah. tailored to the needs. Um, we have a community of practice which is kind of like a network for our partners as well so they can come together they can share good practice they can hear what's going on in the area they can make connections with other partners as well which I think is really important to help build capacity for local partners um, what other kind of projects do we have we have um, a new website which just launched last week it's updated and hopefully a lot clearer with signposting to support and yeah. key information for young people but also practitioners or anybody that works with young people um, and lots of help numbers on there as well because young people don't always like reporting or asking for help where they don't always feel confident and we hope to have included all that on there for them as well um, we have a really great project called Positive Masculinity, which we'd done last year, which is really a, a big research. And last year was a massive research project. And um, we did a survey out with young people, which we had, um, I think, over a thousand responses to, which was oh, just that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally amazing. And it was around looking at what are the experiences of boys and young men in Scotland mm -hmm. like as practitioners and we make these assumptions about what we think impacts them and what we think contributes towards this what was called toxic masculinity kind of traits that end, we know is a big driver behind yeah. violence so we wanted to actually find out what is, what is that what does it look like how does it feel for our young people in Scotland what, what are their views on it so we did a massive bit of research and then this year we're moving into the second phase of the positive masculinity and looking at how we can take what they've told us and how we can use that in a way that could support our practitioners and young people across Scotland. 
So that will be coming out this year, which will be really exciting. We are also setting up a youth involvement group, and it's the first time we're going to be doing this, where it's going to be a, a like a group of young people that they can help give us and for um, help us kind of shape what we're going to be doing over the Brilliant. next year and have much more um, young people's voices included in what we do because we totally recognise that as a youth work approach you know we want young people to be part of that solution yeah. we want their voices to be heard we want them to be helping shaping that and we think that's so important for us to help build our understanding of the drivers and the consequences or what they need to be hearing yeah. as well and they're so, living in the community so they're the ones that can give us what's needed at the time exactly they're the ones that are living it and you know even if we grew up in those communities years ago like you did a bet a young person's experience now is very different from what yeah. your experience was back then so we need to be making sure we're including the voice of young people so we've got this youth involvement group and we're we've got restorative practices which is something that's much more for practitioners and looking at how they can include restorative practices in their day-to-day work which we feel is like really essential is yeah. to start including that an awful lot more um, so and what, what does that mean restorative practice so restorative practices is starting looking at um, you know instead of just being um, saying you've done something wrong we're kind of like well let's in, let's look at what's happened here let's uh, bring all the parties together to hear all the voices including the community of how people how people felt how they've been affected what their viewpoint on this situation it's bringing in making sure everyone's voices are heard so bringing in stuff like you know a bit of restorative circles a little bit more where you can go around and check in with everybody and see how they're feeling make sure everybody has a chance to speak much more uh, bringing making sure everyone's voices are heard and so instead of it being kind of like pointing the fingers if it's been like you've done this you've done that it's actually taking time to see if we can find a restorative way to move past that to resolve that to make sure everyone's voices are heard but in a really um, supportive kind of way which i think a lot of youth workers probably do this approach yeah. anyway but there is kind of like you know certain habits they can get into the habit of doing like a kind of circle approach or um, looking at how we can bring restorative practices into that at all yeah. the time. I know Community um, Justice Scotland do a lot of actual restorative justice but this is more community practice, uh, restorative practices just how you could bring that into everyday practices as a youth worker or somebody that works with young people. Yeah. I think that's, it's really important that, that the differences there and especially if we're working with young people and there's challenging behaviour that it is that fuller it's that fuller conversation so people can understand what's went wrong and what's happened as their consequences but so everybody's then included which is yeah. so, so important rather than that just don't do that or that's out of order yeah. it's a fuller process so that hopefully then can improve and whatever that situation is yeah i'm bringing in other elements so sometimes it might be bringing in you know elements of from the community depending on what a situation's yeah. happened it could be bringing in other people to help everyone have a full understanding of what's going on um, so we can really have a true restorative approach to something instead of it just being just because I said so don't do it kind Aye, of totally approach um, and we've got a really exciting new project that we're we haven't fully finished a name on it but it is looking at um, we're going to be training up um, at the moment it's kind of an insights to well-being it's called but it it's helping young people understand their well-being and the resilience that they have inside of them so that they can better regulate their responses their emotions and their mental well-being in situations which i think is going to be massive um and that is something that kind of came out of the 
positive masculinity research we did that young people don't always feel that they have all the information they need and support they need around that emotional development mm. um, so we think this will probably be a really really great project and we've seen it have great success in other areas so this is the first time I think we're going to be bringing it to Scotland so we're going to be training up in that and doing a pilot this year and rolling that out to help young people just feel really empowered with their mental well-being their emotional intelligence and their resilience and how that can hopefully help them respond differently in situations. Yeah, and that is coming at such an important time as well. We yeah. Just how we, we, I think everybody that listens to this podcast and anybody who works with young people know the, the effects that COVID's had on mental health but and, just, and before COVID, how yeah. young people are struggling. So that'll be amazing to get young people proper support and understanding their feelings. Yeah, and I think what, what we're hearing from partners in local areas is that COVID has, and the shutting down of a lot of services mm-hmm. meant that a lot of like great... Um, support systems for young people or really established relationships maybe broke down or kind of a little bit over COVID because the services weren't there, they weren't allowed to run it was so much harder to reach out and support young people and now there's a lot more challenges facing a lot of young people their communities, their families they're going to be feeling that stress and strain and we know that all of these are contributing factors to violence for anybody and youth violence so I think it is really really great time for these to come along for us to better understand what are the drivers of violence but also well how can we support our partners in those local areas to support the young people or support the young people direct so yeah we're really excited about the project this year and I think it's that nice balance of what we can do directly with young people and what we can do to support our partners who are supporting the young people in that area as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the best things that you do is it's how the support for practitioners yeah. and support for the staff and that who are actually working face to face with young people because it's it's vital information that we all need and if you weren't there we wouldn't know, you yeah. know, and, and you are able to support that and, and it's really good to hear that that is such a sort of forefront of what you are doing because it's support that is really required for the practitioners out there in the field. Oh definitely and that's always been a really huge mm-hmm. part of our work so we, we do have the okay we need to understand what are the drivers the consequences but that huge part of us is to say well recognising that youth work is all about a young person's voice and an established relationship and them being part of that journey it would be arrogant of us to step it to think that we could step in and do that for young people in the area we have to look at who has that relationships right. already with young people which is our local partners which is our local youth workers and i think that's why this project being based in youthlink scotland is probably such a good thing because we've got that network yeah. with all the youth workers across scotland so capacity building is massive for us absolutely massive um, and then that also makes sure that when we're involved in kind of policy or decision making at maybe you know working with other national partners it's, it's helping us making sure that young person's voice is included in that as well which i think again is is totally essential for for moving forward but and that really help working with local partners really does help us shape what we do as well so you know we're hearing from other local partners just like you were saying like as a youth worker you know i was speaking to to my manager earlier and we were talking about the percentage of youth workers that, that are actually voluntary and that they don't maybe feel confident to do something like youth violence or weapons or knives with young people because it's not something they maybe know lots about or they don't feel confident doing around that so I think it's really and some of our toolkits cover other topics like alcohol because we know that alcohol and drugs can be a massive driving mm-hmm. factor behind violence as well or other topics or other risk taking behaviour so it's really important for us to make sure that we can 
have those local partners feeling as confident as possible to have these discussions with young people to feel that they have all the resources and the toolkits they need and if they're saying something like well we don't need know how to explain uh mental health well-being or emotional intelligence to young people because you know it's not something that we'd always taught either so it's it's then us going okay well how could we then what do we need to do to be able to support you doing that and that helps us know what we need to be delivering what we need to be creating to support the local partners as well yeah and i think it shows and it's just i suppose a credit to what you are doing and you think that you are actively listening to young people and practitioners to shape what you are doing it's it's not a case that oh this is what we think and we're going to go and run away with it it's you are doing that the right way and it's finding out what it is that is needed and then you're plugging in that gap the to make sure that then you're supporting young people and practitioners. Yeah, and I think there there's some there's some projects that we 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 do without you know maybe getting that feedback where we think this might be a little bit innovative or this might be something fun and engaging. Like our games is something that you know we didn't have practitioners saying I want a game to play with young people, yeah. but we thought oh that's interesting, that's something that we've never done before. I think that would be really a really great way to open a discussion with the young people where we're meeting them in an area that they're more comfortable i.e. gaming and wonder yeah. if we can do that in a way that's informative and educational and can really break down a few barriers and open up dialogue so I think we, it's a balance between both really and it's a le- and you know we're lucky that the government support us when we're putting forward these proposals and yeah. they're saying actually that let's try that let's go do that and that kind of works and it balances really well so we, you know obviously with um, being a youth work approach we're very much in the prevention and early intervention kind of side of this scale we have other national partners who work at other ends of the scale so you know the violence reduction unit i think are probably a lot you know a lot of their projects are maybe with older young people who have already been involved in the violence system and they do amazing projects that are maybe that slightly other end of the scale so i think it's it's a good balance between all the national partners as well which i think is really great and and it's important as well um but i think that being a youth work agency, that prevention approach is really what drives us as well, and where our projects come from. Yeah, would you be able to tell us just a wee bit more detail about Nay Danger, and just like maybe how it works and how you even came up with that then as an idea? The game. Yeah, the game. So the so the the original idea actually came from probably the the game developer, the the company that developed the game, which is Pocket Sized Hands. They're a Scottish company based in Dundee. They're totally amazing. If anyone needs to do any gaming stuff, I would recommend them. Um, they actually came to us to um, get our advice on a virtual reality game that they had been developing with a police force down in England okay. that had been around um, knife crime. And we were kind of, once they kind of talked us through the game and asked for our feedback on it, I was quite amazed that you could do a game on such a serious topic and it was not something I'd really ever considered before. Mm-hmm. So we started having conversations about them about what else be possible and um, Gary, who is the CEO there, he had all these amazing ideas and to be honest, it kind of opened my eyes to a completely different way of engaging young people in a really serious topic because I would never have put a serious topic and the word game in the same no. sentence together. And that's just because I'm probably not a massive gamer, but um, it really opened my eyes to a whole different way of engaging young people. And I thought, why wow, that is, that's awesome. And I think that would be really, really interesting and really different. And it would probably, especially when we've moved into virtual reality as well, it's, it's maybe something that not a lot of young people have readily access to either. So I thought it would be, again, a really engaging way of kind of opening up 
a conversation with young people and just getting them thinking in a really different way. Um, and the nay danger aspect of it, so we do have a nay danger um, kind of booklet that we have, mm-hmm. which um, we'd already created, which is all around a young person's the bystander approach and how a young person can safely intervene if they think a friend's in trouble and it gives them yeah. uh, five different ways in which they can talk about it. do something we call it the five d's which is direct distract delegate document and delay um and it the booklet was there and it was to help be a little bit of a guide to help them if they think a pal's in trouble it's not always just you have to tell somebody it's not just that you have to report it was trying to empower them with other ways that they could help their friend or even help themselves if they were concerned about being mm-hmm. in pressured into situations so we kind of had that there and we thought that was a really great resource and we thought I wonder if we could use that key learnings from that and the five D's and put it into a game so that it was kind of a connection between the two and they, they came together really really well and yeah. the, the game designers were able to develop it into this really fun kind of interactive you choose your own adventure there's lots of mini games where at different points young people can choose which direction the game takes um, and it's always fun because young people are always going to take the direction um, which they think's the the bad option, yeah. just because it's quite fun. And if there's a big group he is playing, it's more fun like doing it like that. So, but it's great because we're even no matter what direction the game takes, you're still able to get the key messaging across. Um, so that's kind of how the game developed, and we've we've managed to when we initially proposed it, it was thinking that we were going to be out delivering it in classrooms, which. COVID had totally COVID different, <laughs> different ideas but luckily we were able to look at a way we could actually develop uh, deliver it online as well via Teams or Zoom or whatever else so it's actually opened up the flexibility of the game which I think has actually been a really yeah. positive thing so that's been great um, so the training's kind of rolled out it's been a bit slow at times but I think it's because with the schools shutting down a lot of youth workers and a lot of um, people that support young people were just doing whatever they could to keep that connection support that young person and they didn't really have time to plan out sessions the the, the way they used to but I think what we're seeing in the last six months is life youth groups and support groups starting to settle back down to normal and I I don't know what it's like in your area but I think it's we're we're starting to see that now so I think the the pick up the interest in the games really we've noticed a bigger uptake and a more interest um more recently, I think, when schools first opened back up, I think there was that scramble to try and do this kind of Aye. road to recovery and getting everything in there. But I think now people are starting to settle in and go, right, this is life now. So what do we actually need to do? What's a priority in our area? What's a priority for our young people? And I think a lot of people, if I'm honest, are recognising that their young people have maybe been hanging out in the streets an awful lot more because, or outside, or because because there was nothing else there. No, nothing was open for them. And maybe not all youth groups or, or um, youth centres or that have survived it as well so that they are starting to notice there's been a change in relationships and it's trying to re-establish them and getting that back up and running that we've noticed a lot more inquiries I think it is starting to become more of a concern again yeah. for areas um, and how they can support young people. Yeah, ours has definitely been that we've we've been on the Covid road to recovery and we've been trying it's been very much focused on getting people so they're not isolated, how are they feeling, mental health and a lot of the other stuff that we would traditionally put in our programmes just hasn't really happened because it is all about that coming yeah. back together and how how are we now in society, how are we living with COVID, what's happened in their lives if, if they've lost family members and yeah. it's been a lot of that sort of work so a lot of the other stuff has no really been a focus to us or a priority because it's not been really there so we're totally in line with that and mm-hmm. it's only really the last I'd say 
I'd say maybe month, maybe two months, where we've really been looking at going, right, so we feel like now we're past this, so what now do they need? We need to start um, focusing again on actually what are the issues that young people are facing, like they were facing before we all went up the road and before all that happened. So we are in that position where we're looking at going for August for school groups starting back up, and especially we've got um, our gender-based groups and those other groups, it's really going back into that. What do you use? What support do you use need that isn't? Um, isolation and COVID recovery focus because yeah. that's been our gig really for the last two years. Yeah, so. no, I totally appreciate that. And we tried to, we tried to, we altered what we did over lockdown as well. So we actually um, put out a couple of new resources, which was how do you, how you could do youth work and how you support young people maybe at a distancing, how you yeah. can do it kind of more street based work if, if youth groups weren't open. So we did, um, we kind of edited or put new resources out to try and support youth workers through that kind of times as well recognizing that as well and i think what we've done is we've we've listened to a lo- lot of our partners because exactly as you're saying they were saying this isn't our priority this is our focus right now so even our community of network events that were online the topics were very much like right what's relevant for you right now in your area because there's no point in us talking about these big projects you're not going to use them for a year and a half because that's not where your head's at and that's not where your young people are at either Um, and obviously that then influences what projects we're doing this year like looking at our um, insights to wellbeing course and I think that's going to be something that a lot of partners are going to be really interested in because they want to support their young people but Mm. they don't they I don't think they feel confident to do that or and this this is going to be about how we can empower them to support them. Yeah, better as well. I'm really looking forward to that because one of the conversations we've had is it's like and, and you know it's not, I don't even think it's a bad thing to even say but it's recognising that staff feel de-skilled yeah. and they don't feel confident and comfortable at the moment because yeah. they've spent they spent a long time on Zoom and we spent a long time on React sort of work that way where we've sort of forgot that side of things so yeah. hope my team don't mind me saying with the conversations but it's it's reality you know yeah. that we have been feeling that so a, a new resource like that coming out will massively help us because it can help us get up skilled so that we are comfortable and confident to really have the conversations that maybe no yeah. everybody that now is because it's it's been challenging and hard and we've had to try and do a whole new job really oh of course um, like i don't think anyone's come out of covid unscathed i think yeah. ev- you know everyone's resilience has been tested to the max i think everyone's nervous system at some point or another has been on absolute high alert alert and i think it's changed everyone i think it it really has and having to work in different ways having to support our young people and then the the pressure we felt to support the young people in our area so that i mean it's completely like i think that's really recognizable so i think it's um yeah i think this program that the new projects coming out will will just fit in perfectly with that so it'll help the practitioners probably even going through the training they'll recognize a lot in themselves and probably hopefully feel a lot more empowered with their own emotional intelligence their resilience and and their well-being but then when it comes to their young people yeah knowing how to support that as well will be really good um so yeah we're going to be trialing it doing the pilot in a few areas and then hopefully getting it rolled out by the end of the year which i think will just be amazing and what we're going to be doing it as is um and we do all our little courses like this. We talk about it as skill stack, where we look at kind of our trainings now. And this is something that's probably developed over COVID eh, since COVID came in as well. Is recognizing that practitioners have much more um, their time's really precious, and mm. we're looking at how instead of doing like 
you know, a full two, one to two days training or more, how can we do shorter training that they can kind of like stack up their skills so you can do lots of little trainings that kind of build up and build up and build up. So maybe if some are more relevant to you than others, you can come along to those trainings and just stack those skill sets up. Um, And the the new course is going to be like that as well. It's going to be kind of a stackable skill set to make sure that it's hopefully really accessible to everyone and it, it... breaks down any barriers of it being like right we have to come to this three day training event or something like that which we recognise a lot for people now Um, so yeah hopefully it's going to be delivered in a way that's really good for people as well Will it still be remote or will there be a a blend of both? Um, I'm going to be honest it's not been 100% decided Um, what we've personally found since, um, since Covid started is we've started to have a lot higher attendance to our community of practice mm. and to our training events since we've moved remote. Um, it could be that people had time because they were working at home more, but also it could be that, you know, if you were to come to a, you know, a four-day training in Edinburgh, but you were over in Inverclyde, it's probably a whole day work day for you, whereas actually if we did it online, you probably still could do other work yeah. around that so there is a convenience element for a lot of people you know we work with people across the whole of Scotland if you have someone from Inverness or that that could be an overnight if further afield yeah. you know east coast as well it's remote areas. <laughs> exactly so I think it opens it up an awful lot more if we do do them online but I know that that connection and the presence is obviously massive yeah. and as youth workers we know this I don't need to say in this time of day um so there might be an element of both, but it's not been 100% decided, to be honest. It might be a trial year and say, right, we'll do some and see, yeah, see what the uptake is. But what we did find is that, yeah, our our network events were massively attended and so was the training. And I wonder if it was just that accessibility for people was was there and it was a lot easier. Yeah. And cost down as well. Everyone's, you know, all councils and charities and youth work groups are, you know, limited budgets now on yeah. this COVID recovery. So keeping the cost down for people is, is obviously a little bit, if there's no travel or anything, it can be a little bit easier as well. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and I think I, I, I'm, I'm like a, I like online, then I don't like online, and then I love in person, and yeah. it's it's the same as like even doing the podcasts. We do some of the podcasts in person, like we are the now, some of them that we're doing online, and just that's just depends really. You can still get the same outcomes out here, yeah. but it's nice sometimes just going to see people. Yeah, I mean, I think for working with young people, I think everyone recognises that working in person with a young person so much easier. But sometimes training, it it depends a lot of the the new training is the insights to wellbeing or whatever we end up calling it, sorry, (laughs) like it's not maybe the final name for it, um, is a lot of interactive. um, So it's not just sitting talking, so it might be easier in person. So yeah, I guess just watch the space. You'll see, we'll see how it turns out after the pilots. That's it, that's it. So then um, in terms of like the toolkits and resources, um, how do practitioners get to access that and sort of what sort of trainings also out there for them? Great question, Connor. Um, Everything is free to access on our website. It's free, free. Free, free. You can access this from anywhere in the world. It's free online. Um, Everything is accessible. So um, if you go onto the new website, which is www.nonicebetterlives.com, there's a resources section right at the top and you can go in there and there's everything. So all the toolkits are um, the PDF kind of toolkits of activities and um, discussion points and kind of 
ways that you can engage with young people building a program as a one-off session or a longer program if you're a youth worker are in there we have a number of short films in there as well which you can use with your young people um, some of them are. We kind found of, the films really engaging. Yeah. So we have the kids really, really like them, and we've used them before. Oh, brilliant! That's great to hear. So we have like a couple of older ones that, you know, are just more like an embammer or paramedic talking. But then we have one called Mark Story, which is kind of taking that metaphor of the ripple effect and seeing how one instant can affect so many people. And um, we do also have uh, other ones that are in the dark, which is kind of like somebody like speaking some of the true facts of knife crime and you know you can use them as a as a youth worker you can use them in so many different ways they can just be something fun and engaging they can open up dialogue they can just start that conversation with young people and i think it's a good thing to have different uh, modes of materials to work with young people the nay danger game is on there um i am um, we will have soon up uh training video that goes with it in the morning the trainings you can come along to live but we're going to have a training video up that if you want a refresher or just want to watch it yourself about how to play the game it's all going to be there Brilliant. as well and um, the virtual reality game isn't launched yet we're hoping to launch it in the next month or so um, and we're going to push it to the open app store so that if you have a vr headset in your youth group then you, you'll be able to access it uh, through we the just app got store. um like six, I think 65 oculuses wow. so we have which we're really really looking forward to using so cool. we've just distributed them across like um, all the centres and a couple of projects so Brilliant. that'll be amazing to try that out that will be amazing so yeah I didn't realise we knew a few youth groups had had them I didn't realise people were kind of going all in for them so that'll be yeah. really really great that we can maybe push that and maybe do a little bit of training on the support and workshop because you can only use it in small numbers we always envisaged it that like some could play the game and then some could have this like kind of discussion workshop and then swap over so yeah. we'll maybe do some training for you um, partners around that as well and um, we also have a load of um, stock images on there that are free to download because we a big part of what we do is that reassurance message to young people that although you might know it's in your community it's not common that every young person carries a knife and we don't yeah. like adding to the fear of crime or the misconception that it's all young people in a hoodie down a dark alley with a massive machete kind of thing so we did a project a couple of years ago with young people where they helped us come up with a bank of stock images that they felt better represented the true um, emotion behind knife crime and they're all there and we encourage anybody who's doing any articles blogs newspapers or anything to use those stock images instead of the the ones that the press desks use all the yeah. time as well so the stock images are on there um, and they're great they're really good for using um, and any events that we run like our free training that we run regularly our community practice events everything like that is any guest speakers where we have a webinar or anything all of them are on the website as well so free to access that's amazing um is there anything is there anything that I've maybe not asked or anything you'd like to add that I've we've not maybe covered? Um, I don't think so. I would say, like, um, we recognise that all all the good work that we do is totally reliant on local partners and the local established relationships. So we don't try and um, claim that, that, you know, we're the ones that have a massive impact on any national statistics. We're all part of that, working together towards that. And I think for us, it's just really recognising that youth work is such a vital part of that pr yeah. approach towards getting the statistics around violence and reducing and preventing youth violence um, and that partnership work, work is key but also not to get complacent like prevention doesn't need um, you know high instance for us. that the whole point of prevention work is that we're always there to have that and I think that's really important for us is to continue 
doing that good work and that people don't get complacent and think oh well stats have come down we don't need to do that anymore yeah. um, the stats have come down because we're doing the prevention so exactly doing the prevention. I know but how many times yeah. have we seen that in the past so totally, totally. Um, I guess for us it's that don't get complacent and yeah I guess from a personal point of view um, this is a CLD podcast and I think for me it's it's just saying that I, I'm kind of like into the CLD through a community safety policy background. I don't think you, um, I think there's many ways that you can end up in a CLD role. And I think that's a kind of nice point to point out as well, is you don't always need to have a CLD qualification to end up in a role that really supports youth work in CLD. And there's many routes to get to kind of where we are um, here. And I think that's kind of, CLD's been much broader than you think it is yeah. I think that was something for me coming into a role is that it's so much broader and there's so many different routes that you can get into a role like this as well yeah. Um, so yeah but you sort of just answered it a wee bit like my last question but I'll ask it anyway in case there's anywhere else you want to sort of go away so and we always put this at the end of every podcast so what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD um, don't be I don't I think um don't be put off thinking you have to have a CLD qualification, I would say, to get into a CLD role. Um, or a job that you think is a CLD mm-hmm. role is what I mean. I think there's many, many different routes. Um, I think if you're... You have to be, I assume, you know, in my opinion, probably quite passionate. It's There's a, a lot of people you work with. You know, it's a lot of difficult jobs and difficult jobs sometimes or difficult circumstances. I think you have to be quite passionate about like youth work or children's rights or whatever your CLD role is. Um, but I think it's always a lot broader than you think. Yeah. And I think what uh, nearly everybody that works in any kind of CLD role, I think you knowing that you're contributing to making from a difference, I think is really rewarding. And I think there's so many different ways you can get into that. Like I came through a bit of a policy route as opposed to being CLD qualification or youth worker yeah. and coming up that route. So I think there's, there's lots of different ways you can get there. It's broader than you think. And I think it's quite a rewarding role to be in. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for uh, spending this like a bit an hour-ish or whatever it is with us. Um, social media, where can people get these? Um, no Nice Better Lives on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, and our website as well. It's got all the channels on it there. And we do have a YouTube channel, which being No Nice Better Lives as well. Nice. Amazing. Well, thank you very much.